Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey, and this is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter, the Dawn Chorus, via my substack called La Kaka. Today I want to talk about three waters because there's been a bit of news and I think it's worth stepping back and trying to understand what's really going on with three waters and what might happen next. Yesterday the Auditor General, who's in a unique position, the Auditor General is an officer of Parliament, so in effect is not appointed politically, or at least directly, and has a pretty important role to basically call bullshit on stuff that is happening inside government and parliament and also councils and is very apolitical. So when the Auditor General comes out and says something very strong, most people take a lot of notice, in part because the Auditor General has a particular set of financial skills, which allows it to understand what councils and governments are doing and also has a particular remit to ensure that councils and governments aren't being corrupt uh, or or aren't um, being too clever for their own good. And the Auditor General came out yesterday with a detailed and frankly scathing report on the Three Waters reform process. That's because Three Waters is currently before Parliament in the Water Services Entities Bill, which creates the four new water services entities which will take over the three waters infrastructure previously owned and controlled by councils. And the Auditor General has come out and said that the four water services entities, just to confuse you over the three waters process, these four entities, he says, will not be accountable properly to ratepayers and to taxpayers. Now, why is that? Currently, if, for example, a pipe breaks or ratepayers are unhappy with the service they're getting on flood damage or water quality, they can effectively go to their council and complain, and if they're really grumpy, get some people elected to council and try to change these things, because currently these assets are controlled by councils. But we have a problem. New Zealand has not invested enough in infrastructure over the last 30 years to keep up with our population growth and provide the services that we want. And I'm not just talking here about water, although water plays a really important role. We obviously have not built enough infrastructure to deal with population growth in a housing, education, health and public transport sense. Now, water is very important in all of this. Essentially, no houses get built until there is a pipe that comes from the house into the sewerage system, or the drain pipes and the grey water go into the uh, stormwater systems. So essentially, nothing happens. There are no new suburbs. There are no new apartment buildings until the council says, yes, we will connect this up to the water systems. And water infrastructure is really expensive. You have to build big pipes, you have to dig holes in the ground, you have to dig up roads, you have to buy land, you have to build water treatment plants. They are billions and billions of dollars. And they've been built up over the last 100 years or so in our cities and towns with lots of public investment. Certainly before 
uh, the ref local government reforms of the early 1990s uh, by councils effectively um, borrowing money or using council rates to invest over time in these assets. Now, there was a time pre the early 1990s when we had quite high tax rates and government spent a lot of money on infrastructure, be it electricity or water or public transport, and we had high taxes so that we could pay for that infrastructure investment. But essentially, a new political consensus formed after the Rogernomics reforms of 1984 to 1990, and then subsequently in the first six years or so of the national government, in which effectively both main political parties, both national and Labour, agreed on two fundamental things about how our government and our fiscal structure works. Firstly, that we won't put up taxes, we won't tax wealth, we won't tax land, we won't put up taxes more than where they are basically now, which is around about 30% of GDP. So that means if you are going to, for example, uh, put up GST, you have to offset it with a reduction in income tax. And if you are going to impose an extra tax, it has to be a very clearly identified and what they call hypothecated um, user pays charge. So let's say, for example, the fuel tax levies. This is a tax on petrol, which is then put aside into a fund and used, in theory, to repair roads and build new ones. Recently, it's also being used to repair and rebuild railways and help pay for public transport. Uh, it always played a role in helping to pay for buses and trains, but frankly, not nearly enough. And um, again, this is a tax which, in, in, in essence, is a uh, user pays charge into a hypothecated fund. And that rule, no more than 30% of GDP for taxes, has been in place. In fact, reaffirmed just recently in the last week by Grant Robertson in his responses to the opposition's attacks that he's addicted to spending. Grant Robertson simply comes back and says, well, look at the Treasury forecasts. We're not increasing government revenues to GDP any more than 30%. So that is the one fiscal limit that both main parties agree on. The second one is a balance sheet limit, which effectively restricts the central government, and by extension local government, from borrowing more than around about 30% of GDP net. Now the rule of thumb used to be 20% gross, but unders and overs, the current rule, around about the same, which is net 30% of GDP. Now as it turns out, that is now significantly lower than other countries that have the same credit rating as us and are in broadly the same situation with floating currencies and uh, no capital controls, no large capital controls. And uh, we're out of place now. Not only that, but also our 30% revenue to GDP is well out of place with other countries that we'd compare ourselves with and which try to provide the same sorts of public services that we do and social safety net. But both parties have agreed 30% is the rule. So that means... It's really hard, in fact impossible, to propose a tax increase with that rule. 
And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Uh, Both both parties have realised that if you propose a tax increase before an election, you don't win it. As Labour discovered with the capital gains tax proposals of the last uh, four elections. Well, not the very last one. They gave up on that in 2020. And uh, also... When you start increasing debt in any sort of fundamental way, beyond the normal ups and downs of the economic cycle or the occasional shocks like the GFC or earthquakes or or, or pandemics, then um, you're effectively saying to voters, we're going to increase our debts in a fundamental way. And basically that will mean that you have to pay slightly more in taxes to service those debts. And uh, also, higher debts generally mean, all other things being equal, slightly higher interest rates, particularly for mortgage borrowers, who these days are the only ones who really borrow from banks. And so what you're essentially saying, as a bipartisan consensus for 30 years, we won't increase your taxes, and we won't increase debts, but we will deliver all these public services. And the voters go, yep, that's possible. And the politicians say, yep, that's possible. But in the back of everyone's minds, and certainly those who look at the balance sheet and our infrastructure needs, that hasn't worked. And not only hasn't it worked, it won't work. Essentially, it's a form of political and economic magical thinking. And this really has crystallised in the last couple of years as we've started to look more closely at the issue of our infrastructure deficit and how it might be dealt with. Both the Climate Commission and the Infrastructure Commission, which are new, they've only been invented since 2017, have really looked closely at this and worked out that we currently have an infrastructure deficit of about $100 billion. That's because for the last 30 years, as we stuck to this 30-30 rule, we didn't invest in the water infrastructure that we needed, essentially to build housing and also uh, to deal with transport or to get ready for climate change. This 30-30 rule is absolutely fundamental to all of the problems we have in New Zealand. We can't build enough houses to have a decent supply response to demand pressures for housing because councils don't allow themselves or aren't allowed by government to borrow enough money to pay for the essential infrastructure to supply extra houses quickly. And that's both at the fringes with greenfields developments and also brownfields developments. And as it turns out, the RMA and um, council planning processes have been very used very effectively to keep starving our infrastructure and our country of the investment it needed to deal with the population growth, which sometimes has been engineered to be much faster than we expected over the last 20 years or so. So now we're in a hole, and it's worth about $100 billion for the last 30 years. The Infrastructure Commission actually estimates that over the next 30 years, we also have to invest a further $100 billion just to keep up with the forecast population growth we've got and to do the bare minimum on improving our water quality and also to get ready for climate change and to try to reduce our emissions. So the scale of the task is $200 billion, about 60% of GDP at the moment. So if you're really serious about dealing with infrastructure issues, 
and you've been advised this is the scale of the issue, then you should be thinking about how to fund that and what it means for taxpayers and ratepayers. And if you're being really honest about it, you should say to people, hey, if you want decent water quality, meet our climate change targets, have decent housing affordability, and therefore deal with a lot of the child poverty reduction issues that we we have, you need to invest in infrastructure. Because remember, no houses get built unless there are pipes. And unless there are pipes, then there's no need for wires, and there's no need for footpaths, and there's no need for schools and hospitals. Now, you can still have the extra people come into the country, but if you haven't built it, then that puts immense pressure on infrastructure, and the most obvious symptom of that pressure is exploding house prices, which we've seen. So you can't really solve these issues unless you invest in that infrastructure. But the political economy problem is you can't go to the voters and ratepayers and say, hey, we'd like to increase your taxes, do you mind? Because they say, yes, we do mind, and you're not going to get elected. So uh, how do you do it? Well, Labour came up with a clever plan. It's called Three Waters. This is where you go to councils and just quietly you say, we know you can't ask ratepayers to impose water charges or build up debts because they'll say no as well. We know we can't go to taxpayers and say we're going to increase debt by $200 billion to pay for all this water infrastructure and other infrastructure to go with it to fill the hole and get ready for the next 30 years because we won't get elected either. So how about we do this sneaky thing called Three Waters where we assume ownership of the assets. We organise arm's length water services entities to take on the debt that's necessary and we put them at arm's length from councils and they are allowed to charge for water and plan for that infrastructure and build up the debt and effectively engineer a debt increase on the public's balance sheets and most likely impose water charges in those places without them, and a lot of places don't have them. Remember, Auckland, only recently Tauranga, Kapiti, and one or two other smaller ones have water charges of any great note. And this is all very controversial for local councils who hate water charges. So um, this effectively was a um, clever... I think too clever for its own good, planned by the government to solve this infrastructure funding problem and to do it in a way which meant that we'd never really had the debate about high taxes and high debt. So what happened? Well, the government thought three waters, water infrastructure, infrastructure financing, that's boring. No one will pay attention. And the councils don't want these liabilities or have to have these tough conversations with their own ratepayers. I reckon they'll just hand them over and we'll, we'll do this. And before people know it, they're paying water charges and they have a bunch of debts which have to be serviced by those water charges. But it won't be the current government's fault and it won't be the council's fault. It just sort of happened. <laughs> and um, this all seemed to be clever for a while until a whole bunch of councils realised that they were going to have to give up control of these assets some of the assets had been quite useful to the councils because they had been able to borrow against those assets and if they were able to impose water charges 
it was quite a handy thing to have, these assets, because it allowed them to borrow and to do other things with the money. And that's the, certainly the case with Auckland. One of the reasons they're against Three Waters is that it effectively removes Auckland Council's flexibility to borrow against its water assets to fund its uh, transport and other infrastructure issues, again, because it doesn't want to increase rates or debts in a way that would um, mean that it's clear to voters that they're having to pay a higher tax or have higher debts to deal with their infrastructure issues. Effectively, these politicians uh, have become a magical thinking magicians, saying to people that they can have the infrastructure and eat it too without the tax increases or the debt. And the hope that someone else has to actually explain it to voters next time around, or uh, that nobody really notices. Uh, well, unfortunately for the government, that lack of strategic intent and clarity and upfrontness was spotted by a whole bunch of voters. They realised there was a vacuum of reasoning behind Three Waters. So what did they do? They inserted something into that vacuum, and that is co-governance. And a whole bunch of people have gone, ah, I know why Nanaya Mahutra wants to do Three Waters. She wants to hand over all these assets to the iwi. And she wants to uh, charge regular Kiwi taxpayers for water. And that's how the iwi will get some of their money back from all of these um, assets that were stolen over the years. I'm paraphrasing. But that's the guts of the complaints that a lot of people in local government have with Three Waters. The, the more substantial complaints from some of the councils are that they, are, they believe they're being punished for the mistakes of other councils. Some councils have been reasonably good at building infrastructure to uh, improve their water quality and ensure that there's enough infrastructure for new housing. Although, to be frank, hardly any. Otherwise, you'd have cheap housing in those councils. And uh, they believe that they are paying for the sins of other councils who didn't invest em enough, um, uh, took on too much debt, and um, effectively their neighbour is going to get cheap water at the expense of them. So uh, some of these complaints, co-governance and it's not fair, are being conflated by councils. The end result is that, bizarrely and weirdly, it all got wrapped into the groundswell uh, um, backlash that happened late last year and through up until now, and in particular around the March parliamentary protests. And now co-governance is one of the dog whistles for uh, rejection of the government. And you can see that with a whole bunch of other things in the polls. And we got a fresh poll last night showing that National and Act could govern alone with the current polling support in the One News Kantar poll. So what do we what do we think should have happened and where do we go from here? Well, firstly, the government should have come out and said, we have an infrastructure funding crisis. We can't do magical thinking anymore. If we want population growth and affordable housing and high quality water and to reduce our emissions we're going to have to have higher taxes and higher debts. And that will mean that you can't spend quite so much on consumption. And there's going to be an effect on house prices. Either they don't rise as much as they would have, or they might even fall 
because interest rates are slightly higher. Now, you can imagine the public reaction to that. It would have been the biggest of free kicks for an opposition, sadly. Unless, of course, the opposition realise, and they should, that they have the same problem too once they're in government. And that if they were being honest about it and were being uh, public-minded about it, would actually enter, enter into a proper conversation about how to engineer this. This isn't too far off the reservation, really, when you think about our longer-term history. For example, we had a massive problem with inflation in the 80s and a fairly stagnant economy. And so what happened? We had a bipartisan consensus to put up interest rates and squeeze the economy until the pips squeaked by pushing up unemployment to uh, nearly 11% and squeezing inflation out of the economy. That was very painful. And no one asks or wants high unemployment. But it happened because both parties agreed that it was necessary. Why both parties don't agree that it's necessary to invest in infrastructure and to have those high debts and income taxes, uh, I would say I don't know, but <laughs> but I do know they want to get re-elected. And the lizard brains of the body politic in New Zealand cannot get their heads around long-term investment and substituting consumption for saving and investment in an era when consumption now is much more attractive than uh, um, uh, investing now for future generations that may have nothing to do with you. And even if they are your kids, you believe, wrongly I think, that they should completely pay for themselves and it's got nothing to do with you. When actually those generations are living off the investments of people who were paying taxes in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, let alone the, um, the land and the resources that were uh, taken by um, a colonial government in the mid-1800s. Uh, this may prove controversial for many, but that's the guts of it. Um, and we've been consuming that capital, if you like, environmental, social, uh, physical capital for the last couple of hundred years. We haven't really invested back into that capital in many ways. So we, we need to have this conversation and we need to uh, come up with a bipartisan solution to it. I don't think we're too far off in many ways. There are ways to solve this, uh, in particular using demand management tools, effectively engineering tax increases that are user pays charges for things like water, for transport through congestion charges, and uh, cordoning this off into hypothecated funds, which mean that voters feel more confident that they're not just pouring money into a big pot that nasty politicians are going to waste on things they don't want politicians to spend money on. So that is possible. And I think if National are clever about it, they could propose it. And we do have precedents for these sorts of bipartisan deals where local voters and voters generally aren't happy about something that's happening. And we can think in particular of the medium density residential standards and the um, urban development rules, which have enabled intensification in our bigger cities. That was not popular with local voters. 
and actually quite a few uh, national voters as well. Um, that will be interesting to see whether it survives the next year or so of policy development. However, um, that's where we are. So what happens now? Well, the Auditor General has come out and said, obviously, that Three Waters is frankly not democratic, that it takes control out of the hands of local ratepayers and calls bullshit on this magical thinking attempt to solve an infrastructure funding crisis by sneaking through high taxes and high debt, rightly, I think, to try to pay for infrastructure. The government should have been upfront and said to the opposition and the public, we need to solve this problem. How do we do it in a way that is sustainable in the long run? In the same way that happened with the Reserve Bank Act and the squashing of inflation in the late 80s, early 90s. Now, we're not seeing that at the moment, so what's going to happen? Well, it looks like there's going to be a massive backlash to Three Waters and a whole bunch of other things in local government elections in October. Already, Three Waters is one of the reasons why the government is not popular and is on track to lose the election next year. And so I think the government, because it's um, more than anything else interested in its own survival, fair enough, is going to throw Three Waters under the bus by the end of the year to get re-elected next year. If it continues on, as it has pretty consistently, just keep pushing for Three Waters, uh, it will lose the election. And then Three Waters will be repealed by the end of next year. So anyone who's thinking of applying for a job at Three Waters as the CEO, because they're being advertised at the moment, or the organisation, should know that it could be a short-term job. This is a pity, in my view. Um, it's still savable if um, there's some sort of bipartisan deal to deal with this issue. The problem is it's now become embedded in an emotional response, which is the co-governance issue. I don't think co-governance is a real issue, mainly because Standard & Poor's gets to decide whether these bonds are issued by these water services entities. And they will look closely, from the point of view of investors, to make sure that iwi do not get their hands on the revenues or the assets that are being put into these entities. Otherwise, the debt won't get issued and nothing will happen. So for those people who worried they're about to get, there's about to be some sort of uh, cloak and dagger exercise to claim back assets that um, iwi think are theirs, are just wrong because Standard & Poor's won't allow it. And there's nothing more powerful in the world than a ratings agency, sadly. And um, that's why I think co-governance is a distraction the real issue is this issue of infrastructure funding. And it's it's crucially, desperately important because we don't get the houses built, we don't get the climate change issues dealt with, we don't get the poverty reduction unless we build those pipes and find a way to fund them because they're at the heart of every development decision to build houses. You cannot build a house without a pipe. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly longer but hopefully useful explanation of Three Waters. Bit of an analysis uh, for you. It is Tuesday, the 9th of August. Kakite anō.